Hello and welcome to Cosmos Science Daily, where journalists at the Cosmos Newsroom report on the latest research and discoveries and explain the science behind the headline news. Today's newsroom journalist, Matt Aegis, is talking about the infectiousness of new COVID variants and how you can protect yourself. With yours truly, Dr. Sophie Calabretto, applied mathematician and fluid mechanist, who has had her fourth COVID shot, but still has some concerns. So it's been 28 months since that fateful Friday the 13th in March 2020, when Australia went into its first COVID-19 lockdown. And since then, we've seen waves of infection, restrictions imposed and relaxed, and over 95% of people received the first double dose of vaccinations. And while we've been doing this, the SARS-CoV-2 virus has continued to evolve. Now we have two new Omicron subvariants called BA4 and BA5 that are predicted to lead to a spike in cases over the next few weeks. So what should we be doing? And how much more infectious is this variant than the ones we've had at the start of the year? Matt, help. Well, Sophie, I mean, quantifying infectiousness isn't something that we can probably cover off in one punchy podcast. So we probably shouldn't be surprised, therefore, that health authorities and experts are dropping the phrase, as I sort of air quote on a podcast that no one can see, more infectious when referring to BA4 and BA5 rather than things like percentages. That being said, there are a couple of measures that do get used to describe how many people you could infect with the disease. Okay, so I remember really early on in the pandemic, they were running nightly news reports about R-naught. Are we back there? Is that what we're talking about again? Yeah, that's right. So R-naught, which you'd see written as a capital R with a zero subscript, a little zero, refers to basic reproduction number or basic reproduction rate. And that basically... Hmm. See what I did there? Loved Um, it, loved it, (laughs) man. Is a measurement of how many people one person who has the disease will go on to infect. Now, that's a useful number at the start of a pandemic when there's no immunity, no vaccine and a pathogen that can move freely within a population. But at this point in the pandemic, it's probably not very realistic because we've obviously put some barriers in the way of that virus getting around. Okay, so barriers like immunity from vaccines and past infection and that kind of stuff, right? Definitely. So if you've had COVID-19 previously, you've had an immune response and antibodies are now floating around ready to go again. If you've had a vaccine, that's helpful too, although obviously those vaccines were built for the original strains of COVID-19. So they're not a silver bullet and most epidemiologists will say that. But there is data showing that having an up-to-date vaccination card is good for bumping up your immunity. Excellent. And I should say that vaccines based on Omicron are anticipated for the end of 2022 as well. But yes, immunity from past infection and vaccines are two big barriers to the disease. But let's not forget that many of us are still wearing masks when we're in a crowded setting. That's a barrier. Some of us stay home when we're feeling crook. That's a barrier. And based on the presence of these barriers, experts put much more value in something called the effective reproduction rate, which is similar to the basic, but goes further by taking into account population immunity and these other social barriers that we've discussed as well. Right. So what is the reproduction number at the moment? So one expert I spoke to this week gave a range, but basically it's below two. Okay. So right now, one person with COVID will infect less than two people on average. 
at the moment, that's right. These things go up and down over time, which is why a reproduction rate is often given as a range. Okay, and so essentially if we get that figure beneath one, we'd see COVID go into decline. Correct, but it's probably wishful thinking when you consider that right now in Australia, booster uptake has slowed right down Mm -hmm. and we have few restrictions on borders now when some parts of the world haven't even been able to have the chance to vaccinate more than 20% of their populations with the first dose. Okay, so I guess the next obvious question is, and I feel like I'm not going to love the answer here, Matt, are we going to see restrictions and mask mandates come back in? Well, I guess it really depends on what you're after in terms of whether you'd like it or not, but it doesn't really feel like it, does it? No. Victoria's, yeah, so Victoria's government was criticised for not implementing a mask mandate this week. But, I mean, you know, you're based in New South Wales, a different state. How many people do you see on public transport you know, when you uh, catch a bus or a train wearing a mask. Funnily enough, Matt, disturbingly few people wear masks on public transport here. It's very, very troubling because I'm pretty sure it is still mandated. Absolutely, it is. It's compulsory to mask up on public transport in New South Wales. And many experts I was chatting to during the week have basically said that we're at a point now where people have switched off from COVID-19. We're a long way into the pandemic and governments seem to be in the mindset of dropping mandates rather than actually imposing more. Yeah, but clearly we need to keep trying to limit the spread, otherwise the health system will be under huge amounts of pressure again. Yeah, and I guess that comes back to public messaging and awareness about maintaining all those barriers to infection that we were briefly talking about just before. I mean, let's take masks. What sort of mask do you have, Sophie? Okay, so I have cloth masks and surgical masks and N95, but these days I really only wear the surgical and the N95s and it sort of just depends where. So if I'm inside for a long period of time, I'll N95, but like if I'm popping into the shop for like a minute and a half, it will be a surgical mask sort of thing. Yeah, so you'll probably enjoy this data that I've dug up. So the United States Centre for Disease Control and Prevention has done a study and what they've found is that wearing a respirator, so that's that N95 or KN95 or I think even P2 in some parts of Australia, mm-hmm. those masks, when you when you wear one, reduces the odds of a positive COVID test by 83%, which I would say is pretty good. Okay, I really like that, Matt. You've made me feel quite good right now. Yeah. <laughs> but you can't wear the cloth one anymore. No. Like You should just put that to the side because... Yeah. Whilst wearing a mask is really good and, you know, we need to, you know, remember that people don't necessarily have access to different types of masks wherever they are in the world and wearing any mask is better than none at all. But a surgical mask, so it's that blue one that you might see people in an operating theatre wear, that's a 66% reduction of, of the chances of getting a positive test. And for a cloth mask, which I know can look very pretty now with cool patterns in that, but that is only a 56% reduction. So having an N95 or P2 respirator is a much better bet. And so I guess the point here is that it's clearly whether or not people actually know about this. Yeah, and it's a point that experts are raising. So how do we get the best possible advice to people in the community and not just English speakers but also culturally and linguistically diverse communities that Mm -hmm. don't necessarily have the same level of access 
to media services as everyone else in predominantly English-speaking nations. It can actually be the difference between achieving effective or ineffective pandemic management for these groups. Research led recently by a team from UNSW in Sydney found that governments still need to improve how they communicate to these culturally and linguistically diverse communities looking at Australia specifically, but I'm sure that you could consider that applied in many scenarios around the world. The the research really emphasises the value of using trusted messengers within those groups to share information. So rather than the Prime Minister of Australia rolling out and telling people what to do for some culturally and linguistically diverse communities, it's those community leaders who are seen as those trusted messengers who can give that good advice. But others have also suggested that this idea could be applied more broadly because experts and medical professionals are also seen as very highly trusted communicators of information. So getting them more involved in the communication of current pandemic management and health policy could be really effective as well. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you, Matt. I do actually feel a little bit better now. And thank you to everyone for listening. Be sure to keep an ear out for our next instalment of Cosmos Science Daily. This podcast was brought to you by Cosmos, a publication of the Royal Institution of Australia. From Listener and Cosmos magazine comes Huh? Science Explained, a new weekly podcast answering all of life's questions, big and small, in just 10 minutes. Download the Listener app now and listen for free. Listener.